The Jeff Dean Show on ESPN Tucson is brought to you by Desert Diamond Casinos. Desert Diamond is true Tucson. Tucson's only local morning sports talk show. The Jeff Dean Show starts now. Welcome back to our number two of today's edition of the Jeff Dean Show. I'm Jeff Dean, and whether you're tuning in on the AM side at 1490, on the FM side at 104.9, if you're listening live via the live stream, which you can find on ESPNTucson.com, or if you're somehow mysteriously listening in the future to our podcast, which, of course, you can find on all the uh, avenues where you download your podcast from, whether it's Amazon or Apple Podcasts or TuneIn or Stitcher or whatever have you, uh, you'll find us there for the, uh, for the podcast, and we appreciate you tuning in to the Jeff Dean Show here now back every weekday from 7 to 9. After my uh, my bout with the uh, the C nineteen, had a little rough one there, but uh, feeling great. I, I feel great. Like I just uh, still got you know some endurance and stamina issues with my lungs and things like that. And uh, there's still a a little bit of a road to go. And I'm on some new medications, which make me a little uh, loopy sometimes. But uh, hey, you know what? A little more loopy uh, can be okay. <laughs> Pardon me. So. <coughs> Pardon me. There we go. See, there's a long thing I'm talking about. Um, USC, you know, they, they kind of started the whole coaching carousel thing earlier this season, right? Clay Helton gets fired in September, way, way back. They've been running with Dante Williams uh, for the remainder of the season. There were ups and there were downs for USC. They gave up 6,000 points to UCLA in the rivalry game a couple of weeks ago. Um, but they, you know, they they continued with the process. Mike Bond um, is the, you know, the athletic director there. Of course, he has been a guy who's been around quite some time. They needed a guy like that to come in. He's been known for some pretty pretty good hires back in the day uh, when he was at Cincinnati. Obviously, he brought uh, he brought Luke Fickle into uh, Cincinnati, and they're now one of only two teams remaining in the uh, in college football that are undefeated. And they are likely going to be, if they can take care of business against Houston, and Houston's pretty darn good um, in, the, uh, in their championship game. But they will likely, uh, most likely, in my opinion, be the first non-Power 5 conference team to participate in the, in the college football playoff, which is, uh, I, I mean, I'm going to be honest, I didn't think I was going to see it. There were, you know, there were certain things in in life that I, in sports that I never thought I would see. I never thought I would see a number sixteen seed beat a one seed in the NCAA tournament. We of course saw that a few years ago, and I I honestly did not think I would ever see a group of five school in the CFP unless unless they just somehow got lucky and were able to schedule up. Um, and because you know Alabama is not going to schedule Cincinnati in a in a in a non-conference game. They're just the stakes are too high in losing that game. You know, it's a good program. Obviously, a good football team, well coached team. Uh, the stakes are too high for Alabama to schedule a team like that. So people are like, well, they, they you know they don't schedule. I, I can imagine it's pretty difficult for for Cincinnati to schedule. You know, it's like the same way uh, Wildcat fans are are upset about Arizona's basketball scheduling. Look. It, you know, after 30 years of everybody that comes to McHale losing, nobody wants to bring their team to McHale anymore. Like, you're not going to get – Krzyzewski's not bringing the Blue Devils to McHale Center, okay? If they play, it's going to be a preseason tournament somewhere. Um, 
And look, those are you know a lot of those are by invitation. You can you can put your name in the hat all you want, and those committees that put together those uh, those tournaments are going to be like, oh, we drew Michigan State and Kansas and Duke and Kentucky. We missed you know Arizona and and you know it's it, all that stuff happens all the damn time. Um, it's difficult to schedule, right? So that's why I, I was like, nah, no, we'll never see a group of five team in the CFP. Well, Cincinnati's. Right there. Luke Fickle's got him, and Mike Bond was the athletic director at Cincinnati when they hired uh, Luke Fickle, when he brought Luke Fickle in from, from Ohio State. Now it appears that they are basically just a signature away from luring 38-year-old Lincoln Riley from Oklahoma to USC. Now, what are some of the ramifications of this? Obviously, the other 11 schools right now are like, ah, oh, crap. I mean, this – Lincoln Riley is a, a phenomenal football coach at the collegiate level, obviously uh, has produced some Heisman Trophy winners. He's a relentless recruiter. I have seen some of the things that Oklahoma was doing recruiting-wise under Lincoln Riley. It, uh, it, it is a relentless onslaught of recruiting. I mean, they they're, they're, so Oklahoma's recruiting budget under Lincoln Riley became the largest recruiting budget in the entire country. The largest recruiting budget in the country for the last four years under Lincoln Riley was Oklahoma. That's, in, that's incredible when you think about it. Now think about this. Of the, now depending on which service you subscribe to, okay, of the five top players in the state of California, okay, the five, number, the, the five best players for the 2022 class in the state of California, Okay. Four of them are from the the, uh, the the SoCal area. One of them is from NorCal area. Three of them, three of the five best players in California had committed to Oklahoma. Now, Lincoln Riley goes into their backyard. Now, those three guys all from L.A. Those The, the three guys that they had committed, the quarterback, uh, I think it was a, a wide receiver and a linebacker or maybe a defensive end or something like that. Anyway, um. They're, they're all from Los Angeles. They're all, they all grew up in the shadow of USC, decided to leave to go to Oklahoma to play for Lincoln Riley. One of them is already decommitted from Oklahoma. <laughs> hasn't, you know, hasn't said where he's going next, but I'm pretty sure I know where he's going. So Lincoln Riley heading into USC is now just like, okay, I'm going to move into the backyard of these kids that I was already getting and make things a hell of a lot easier for me. Now I can go recruit heavier in other places like Pennsylvania and Florida and, and uh, Louisiana and, and, you know, some of these other states that they were recruiting, but they weren't able to spend a whole lot of time in because he was focusing on SoCal. They didn't have to focus on SoCal anymore. He's already in U.S. He's in the backyard. He can, he can walk down to the, you know, he can drive his car, you know, five miles to the, to the high school or wherever he wants to go. He can, go, you know, he can, he can drive up the coast, uh, you know, up to, up to NorCal. Doesn't have to spend all that money on recruiting California anymore. He's right there. This is huge, huge for USC. Now, what does it mean for the? I mean, we we understand this, right? We we get it. This is going to make things a lot more difficult for the other five teams in the Pac-12 South because he's a proven winner. Okay, what does it mean for the rest of the Pac-12 though? And I got to be honest, this morning. There is probably no one, and I mean no one, happier about this than Pac-12 Commissioner George Klyavkov. What does having a relevant USC do for the Pac-12, other than upset the other 11 teams who are like, 
okay, we got to step our game up, which is a good thing, in my opinion. You know, I think I think Jed Fish this morning is like, we're gonna have to face Lincoln Riley every single year now in the South. We got to step our game up. We got to figure out how we're gonna beat this dude on the recruiting trail, whatever have you. Okay, keep again manage your expectations. Don't say we're gonna go out there, we're gonna beat USC in recruiting and Lincoln Riley. Not gonna happen. But you can you can you can keep pace as best you can. So the rest of the Pac-12 right now is it's damaged. It's a damaged product. People dismiss the Pac-12. And it's not because we're in the Western time zone. You know, it's, it's, it's not it, – it, I mean, that has a little bit to do with it as far as rankings and things like that go and uh, as far as eyeballs on the, on the teams outside of their markets. But what it really does is this conference needs a lot of healing, okay? Before any individual teams can ascend – Okay, before any of the individual programs can heal themselves, the conference needs to be healed as well. There's a new television negotiation that's going to happen in a year, year and a half, right? Klyovkov's going to go to the table with all the networks and all of his constituents, and they're going to try to sell the Pac-12 on you know, whatever networks and TV, they're going to try to, they're going to have to sell their product to these companies who are going to be dishing out hundreds of millions, possibly billions of dollars um, to the, to the, you know, for the, for the, you know, have the rights to have Pac-12 games. If USC is relevant, if USC is, is having, you know, four or five players drafted in the first round, eight players in the first two rounds of the NFL draft, if they've got guys going to New York for Heisman Trophy, uh, Heisman Trophy ceremonies, if they're winning 10, 11, 12 games a year, if they're nationally relevant, ranked in the top 10 in the preseason, stay in the top 10, get a big upset against a national program somewhere, somehow, you know, they beat, you know, an undefeated Notre Dame or, you know, they go and, and they have a, a, you know, a non-conference win against Georgia or something like that. All these things make the Pac-12 more valuable than it is today because Lincoln Riley is now the head coach and is going to get that program up to where they used to be, whether it be in the Pete Carroll area, the the, the McKay area, whatever have you, okay, the Robinson area era. He's going to get that team. He's going to get that program back up to a national level, a respectful national level. This is all good. It's a it's a trickle down effect now for the Pac-12 because if you have a product that networks are going to be climbing over one another for, which I think USC could eventually become. If you have, um, you know, let's say one of the networks is just like, you know, CBS, okay? Let's say CBS is like, we need to replace the SEC with a product. We're going to go all in on USC and the Pac-12 because we believe in that. You know, we, we, we like the coaches that are in play or whatever have you. That just makes the bidding war that much better which makes every program more money, which puts us on national TV, gives us better time slots, gets us more eyeballs on the programs, more money, and better recruiting, better players, better product. So no one right now is happier than George Klyavkov is that Lincoln Riley is going to be the next head coach at USC. Huge win for USC, huge win for the Pac-12. Now, the myopic people, and I get it, Okay? It's easy to be myopic in this situation because you're only thinking about how it's going to affect your team. Okay, 
the five pro- the five the fans of the five programs, the other five programs in the South right now are like, damn, that sucks. I get it because now I think everybody realizes that this is going to be a a big win for USC. This makes things much easier for them. A guy who was already recruiting SoCal at, a, at an extremely high level is now going to go into to USC, going to be sitting there on Figueroa, just able to just cash in any of the SoCal guys that he wants. And he can go get his picks from, you know, from the other areas that he's been recruiting extremely well, Texas, Oklahoma, uh, you know, in the South and the Midwest. So the, the arrival of Lincoln Riley also is going to, and like I said, I think it's going to cause the other programs to elevate themselves. But, again, you can't do that if you don't have the money. Got to have the money first. If Arizona wants to elevate itself, okay, we're not we're not printing cash down there in Tucson right now. That program is is hurting. The athletic department is hurting. So this is going to help. This is going to help the 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 lesser programs exponentially. You know, like programs like Oregon, Washington, who already make plenty of money right now. They're you know they're going to see a little bit of a boost. But it's the, it's the programs like Arizona, like Colorado, okay, Washington State, Oregon State, programs that aren't making a whole lot of money right now in football that are going to get a huge boost because of this. Now, it's not going to happen overnight. As I mentioned, negotiations are not going to start for another year, year and a half. However, there's a light at the end of the tunnel now. George Klyovkov can now say, I got Lincoln Riley at USC. And who knows what's going to happen at Oregon? Who knows what's going to happen at UCLA? UCLA may be sitting there today, and their new athletic director may be sitting there today. Is like, I have an apathetic head coach who doesn't seem to really want to be here, has not really really been involved in recruiting. I think UCLA's national recruiting class is like number 52 right now, and they're graduating 31 guys. So <laughs> they've kind of fallen asleep at the wheel. Maybe the AD at UCLA is sitting there going, they just got Lincoln Riley. Maybe we gotta go. We, we we gotta we gotta go lure somebody away. We gotta figure something out here. I'm gonna go get you know who you know whomever. You just this this may cause several dominoes to fall, and who knows who Oklahoma's gonna hire. There's a lot of a lot of programs out there right now looking for head coaches that could come call into the Pac-12. So we'll see. But I look. I think this is a great thing for the Pac-12. I'm always a fan of greater competition. That's just the way I've always been. I don't like to beat teams who you know are missing their best player. And I think that better competition forces everyone to raise their level. At least teams and programs who give a damn, right? Because if you have if you have someone in place that doesn't give a damn, uh, and, and the the conference is getting better, and they just go, eh, we can't beat these guys. We'll just, you know, we'll just go three and nine. I'll cash my paycheck. I've got a $14 million buyout when it's all said and done. If they want to fire me, I'll just cash that into ha, 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 all the way to the bank. So I like, I like when, when competition levels are raised. It's healthy. It's healthy for everybody. It feels good to have strong competition because I, I just think it pushes everyone, you know, that much more. I don't know. Maybe that's just a competitive side of me. Maybe that's not the way everybody feels. But I prefer to have strong competition. I, you know, P- 
people talk about the SEC being so great and all this other stuff. I think the SEC has been so top heavy for the last several years. I don't. I, I don't think that 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 conference is healthy. Now, adding Oklahoma and Texas will certainly change things. Okay, that gives them a legit, and I mean a legit nine program conference. That's strong as hell. I mean, that's that's a, that's about as strong as it gets. I've always felt like conferences like like the Big Ten, uh, you know, where you have you know at least half of your conference is strong. Now you have some some also rands. I get it. Every conference has them. You know, and a couple of years ago, the ACC was that was that conference. It had ten strong teams in it, and a few, you know, teams slacking. And the, the few of those teams that were slacking were like, oh, Florida State and you know Miami stink. That was kind of weird, but things happened. Ebb and flow of college football. Remember, Alabama was terrible in the early two thousands as well. Things turned around for them real quick. Hire the right guy, things change. So, uh, I, I look. I like the hiring of of Lincoln Riley at USC. I was shocked. A little bit by it, I just didn't. I didn't see it coming. Um, I don't think. I think a lot of people didn't see it coming. And Lincoln Riley, very coy uh, during his press conference, said, "Look, I'm going to stop you right there. I am not going to be the next head coach at LSU." And then dipped his head like, "Yeah, that's not a lie, but it's also <laughs> not exactly denying the fact that he's not going somewhere. He's just not going to LSU." So, smart move by Lincoln Riley there. He's a smart, smart guy. Smart guy. But, uh, look, it's, it's a good hire for everybody here, in my opinion, and I think it only makes Pac-12 stronger, and that's always better for, for us. Help us stuff the streetcar this Friday from 8 a.m. to 5 p.m. as we uh, stuff the Sunlink streetcar, which is going to be stationed at uh, 4th Avenue and 8th Street. Actually, it's, I think it's there right now. Um, we're collecting new unwrapped toys and cash. Um, benefiting the Toys for Tots charity. Of course, always around this time of year, Santa's going to be there at 4 p.m. If you want to bring the kiddos down to uh, to see Santa Claus, he's going to be flying in to make a, a special appearance right there at uh, 4th Avenue and 8th Street as we stuff the Sunlink streetcar right there, benefiting Toys for Tots. If you want more details, you can go to ESPNTucson.com. When I return, we'll talk some NFL. There, was some, uh, there were a few games yesterday, a couple of Really, really bad games, a couple of pretty darn good ones. We'll take a look at the playoff seedings as it stands right now as uh, the two teams that are playing tonight aren't going to have a whole lot of uh, a say in that, at least not at the moment. But we'll talk about some NFL and some of the takeaways from what we're seeing after a nearly uh, finished Week 12 in the league. That's next right here on the Jeff Dean Show. The Jeff Dean Show on ESPN Tucson is brought to you by Desert Diamond Casinos. Desert Diamond is true Tucson. Now back to the Jeff Dean Show on 1490 AM, 1049 FM, ESPN Tucson. Welcome back to the Jeff Dean Show here. Glad to be back with you guys on this Monday here in Tucson as we uh, are going to be back with you here every uh, every weekday from 7 to 9. The NFL yesterday, I won't go through the, through the Thursday games. It's too long ago in the grand scheme of things. Uh, some, I don't think a whole lot of surprising outcomes. There were a lot of blowouts yesterday and some really bad football being played. Like the, the, the Giants Eagles game was bad. I, I know that people were like, Oh, the defenses were so good. Eh, those teams couldn't, they had a hard time getting out of their own way. Uh, the Eagles didn't even show up until third quarter. The, the Falcons Jaguars game. I don't think we expected much out of that. Jets and Texans was strange and interesting. But then the Ravens-Browns game last night, God, it was terrible. 
There was, there was that one segment where there was a turnover, a play, then a turnover, then a play, then a turnover. I'm just like, what? what is happening here? Ravens and the Browns don't – the Ravens are fighting a million penalties, right, or, uh, uh, injuries right now. So I guess they have a little bit of an excuse. But, my God, what a horrible display on Sunday Night Football last night. That was just awful. Um I think some of the surprises from from Sunday, the Bengals just putting it on the Steelers, and I mean just smoking. I mean, that game was over at halftime. It was 31-3 at halftime, and uh, the Bengals just couldn't be stopped. Roethlisberger looked awful yesterday, throwing a couple of picks. Just looked, just giving the ball up like that was just that was an ugly, uh, an ugly performance by the uh, by the Pittsburgh Steelers as uh, they're now 5-5-1 five, five, and one and looking up at the, the Bengals and the Ravens, both in the uh, the standings of the AFC North. The Buccaneers-Colts game was a great game. That was kind of a back and forth. You know, I, I, I talked about the Colts earlier this year, and I, you know, like talking like week one, week two, that I felt they were one of the top three rosters, as constructed, one of the top three rosters in the NFL. They had some injury issues, and I still have questions about Carson Wentz at the quarterback. He's a bit of a... Uh, of, of a ragtag, uh, you know, saloon shooter at times. But, you know, they've been good enough in certain situations. You know, they can they can score, they can defend, they play great special teams. That's a team that's going to be tough to contend with. They're 6-6 six and six right now. They had a rough start to the season, obviously. They've got some good wins, and they lose at home to the Buccaneers yesterday. It was more like, like when you when I was watching that game yesterday, it was like, you know the the two the you know the two Patriots that came over, and I'm not talking about Tom Brady. I'm talking about Leonard Fournette and Rob Gronkowski, two guys that that basically said, "I want to go and play with Tom." Were the difference in that game yesterday? Fournette was just he was a, a manimal yesterday. He was absolutely incredible, and that's my nickname normally for Rob Gronkowski has been since I was watching him wear the 48 in the uh, the Cardinal and Navy at Arizona Stadium. He's been the manimal. He had seven catches, 123 yards. He was unstoppable. He was even better in the run game than he was in the pass game. If you watched, uh, if you watched that game, they were just they were fawning all over him in the run game, and rightfully so. He's, you know, he's like Tony Gonzalez and and you know and and Shannon Sharp, both great pass catching tight ends. But when you talk about just the overall position of tight end and what you expect out of your tight end there's no one on earth that has ever watched football that can say there's no better tight end in the history of the game than Rob Gronkowski. I, I, and I'm listen, I may be a little bit biased, but there are people that have no, no biasy whatsoever to where he played his college ball at. And people who have done this professionally for a long, long time and in, in studying the NFL and, uh, you know, discussed and the insiders and all that stuff. And they will all agree with you. Uh, agree with me at least. Uh, Gronk is is the best tight end ever. He just he does it all, and it's because you know yes he's a great athlete. He's obviously very strong. He's very fast. But you know, in talking to to Chris, his brother, who I've got a a pretty good relationship with, you know, it's it's about Rob's brain. His 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 brain, his football brain, is so much far advanced, so far advanced from other tight ends and other players in the league. When you watch him run a route, he doesn't outrun the safety or the linebacker. 
he is able to hedge. He's able to shield them and give his quarterback, Tom Brady, uh, an open target to throw the football to. And then once he catches the I mean, once the ball's in his radius, he catches. I, don't, I, I think I can count on one hand the amount of times in his uh, what, 12 years now in the NFL that I've seen Rob Gronkowski actually drop a pass. Like, he doesn't, he, doesn't, he doesn't drop him. He's got those giant strong hands. He just sucks the ball right in there. And then once he does that, he's hard to bring down. He's just, he's just simply the best tight end ever to play. I remember a statistic. I think it was like the 2015 season, the, the 2014 Patriots season, 15, 16, somewhere around there. Anyway, um, they were talking about it was, it was one of the years where the Patriots just running the hell out of the football. Like they were, they were like number three in the NFL in rushing or something that year. And they were talking about the amount of yards per play when they run – like when when Gronkowski is on the field when they run the football and then when they run the football to his side as opposed to running the football away from him and they averaged like 2.6 yards per play per running play when they ran away from Gronk and when they ran to Gronk's side when he was in in run blocking mode they were averaging like 6.3 yards per play I think it was 6 I mean, it was 6.3 or 6.4 yards per play he, he's, he's the best blocking tight end too it, it's just it's remarkable how good he is, and he was a huge game changer yesterday. He was a big difference. They, they Indianapolis they threw everything at, but the kitchen sink trying to cover him. They couldn't do it. He still had 123 yards receiving in that game, and then opened up the running game for Leonard Fournette. And even though Tom Brady did not play all that well, they got the a big win on the road in Indianapolis. And then there's the 49ers who were written off five weeks ago. All of a sudden now they're winners of four of their last five. They win at home against the Vikings. They absolutely just put a hammer down in the third quarter, scoring 20 points in the third quarter. Then they played just, you know, keep away uh, and defense in the fourth quarter, kept the Vikings from even crossing the 50 in the, uh, in the fourth quarter. And uh, all of a sudden now 49ers are looking like one of the teams that could be a scary proposition in the NFC. Because when you look at the playoff picture right now, and we'll, we'll, we'll look at the NFC first. You've obviously got the Cardinals at number one. They're 9-2 and two right now coming off a bye this week. Um, they've got some big games coming up at the Bears this week, but uh, some big, big games coming up in the next few weeks. Packers are the two seed in the event of a tie with the Cardinals. They'll get the one seed because of their win head-to-head over the Cardinals. The Buccaneers are three. The Cowboys are four, who are slumping right now, to say the least. The Rams, who are also slumping, are in the fine position. And here's the 49ers sitting in the sixth spot. They've got the win over the Rams already. They've got another uh, date against the Rams coming up. They're going to be at the Seahawks uh, coming up in week 13. So look out for the 49ers, a a team a a lot of people wrote off five weeks ago. And now all of a sudden is looking like one of those teams that could cause some problems in the the playoffs. The NFC is kind of a, a strange situation right a very very top heavy the AFC is absolutely insane right now like I don't know if anybody knows who the best team in the AFC is some people are saying New England's the best team in the AFC I don't know if they're the best team but I know that when I watch them I think from from all three aspects of the game and from the 60 minute mark to the zero the zero minute mark I think they play the best football of any team in the NFL right now that I know that maybe that doesn't make sense. I don't know. <laughs> makes sense to me. Uh, I don't think they're the best team, but I think they play the best football. They just they, – they do so many things well. They're so good defensively. Mac Jones is <laughs> – man, 
he has really found himself in that offense. He is an absolute surgeon. He made a throw yesterday on a fade route into the corner of the end zone where he threw the ball a good two, two and a half seconds before the receiver had even turned around. To I mean, it was a beautiful throw to Kendrick Bourne in the back corner of the, of the end zone. He has just turned into an absolute surgeon. He has got control of that offense. The defense is playing extremely well. The special teams are always going to be great. And Bill Belichick, you know, as great as he's been and as awesome as the teams have been, you may start want to consider him for coach of the year this year based on how they retooled that roster in the offseason. They went free agent nuts, right? Completely retooled the roster, got a rookie quarterback, and they might be the number one seed in the AFC this year when it does settles. Crazy to think about, man. I mean, that's just <laughs> that's that's just weird stuff. I I I I'm still trying to figure out the AFC, and I'll have my power rankings for you tomorrow. So uh, be waiting with bated breath to uh, to hear those. Join Spears and Ali tonight for Monday Night Football as they broadcast live from the famous Sam's at River in Lachoya. It's a great, clean, and friendly spot. I've been there several times um, to uh, to watch the game with family, with friends. They've got 42 television, over 20 beers on tap, and, of course, those delicious pastrami sandwiches that, uh, that Famous Sam's does so well. So come on down, watch the, the, uh, the radio show live from 3 to 6, and then stick around for the Seahawks and Washington immediately following the broadcast. That's, of course, today from 3 to 6 at the Famous Sam's at River and LaTroy. If you want more information, go to ESPNTucson.com. When I return, we'll talk some Wildcat basketball, men's and women's, Wildcat basketball, both teams undefeated and looking real, real good right now. That's next right here on the Jeff Dean Show. The Jeff Dean Show on ESPN Tucson is brought to you by Desert Diamond Casinos. Desert Diamond is true Tucson. Back to the Jeff Dean Show on 1490 AM, 1049 FM, ESPN Tucson. Wildcat basketball, of course, in full swing. Both the men and the women killing it right now. And I mean <laughs> on a roll. Men, 7-0 and after uh, just absolutely smacking Sacramento State around at the McHale Center on, uh, on Saturday night. But most importantly, coming off of their tournament win that they had uh, just a couple of weeks ago where they were tested against Wichita State, going to that overtime, of course, uh, that overtime game uh, against the Shockers. And look, Wichita State, I know they're not ranked and, and things. Uh, that's, a good, that's a good basketball team. They're a well-coached team. They've got, they got a couple of transfers in this offseason, and uh, that's a team that fights, obviously. I mean, if you watch the game, uh, that team was relentless in their attempt to make the comeback. And look, I mean, made a few lucky shots, uh, a guy – basically running out of bounds, throws the ball in the air, <laughs> goes in the net. I mean, you know, stuff like that's going to happen every now and then. And Arizona, <laughs> I felt like they took their uh, their foot off the gas a little bit in that game. But I thought what, what was important is is that they were, you know, they had the big lead. Wichita State was able to tie it up with them. And then, they you know, they didn't give up. They didn't let that deter them. They fought back. They got back in the game. They got tough. And, uh, and then, of course, in the overtime, they ended up uh, outscoring the, uh, the Shockers by four, getting that win. And then two days later, they turn around in the championship game against Michigan, who was at the time the number four ranked team in the country, and just absolutely put a beat down on the Wolverines. And I mean, like, you watch that game. You look at the, you look at the, the, the final score, 80-62, to uh, 62, I think it was. 
um, 18, 18 point win. And you're like, wow, okay, that's that's a good win for Arizona. But Arizona had 18 dunks in that game. Like the game wasn't as anywhere nearly as close as that score indicated. That game was over early, and Arizona just continued to pile on. That was an impressive win uh, for the Wildcats. And you know, you you look at all these teams around the country. I think there's 25, according to Ken Palm. I think there's 25 teams remaining out of the 358 uh, that play D1 basketball. Um, I think there's I think there's 25 that are still unbeaten, and Arizona, of course, one of them. And when you look at some of the other teams around the country, I mean, uh, Kansas just lost to Dayton. Kansas, who, who you know, who, uh, Dayton, who had three losses already, and all three of those losses were by games, where they paid teams to come to come play them. Like UMass Lowell, they lost to in a by game. I mean, Dayton is bad. Like they they are they are in a complete rebuilding mode right now. They're just flat out bad. And Kansas, who was the number three team in the country, I believe, at the time, you know, gets beat by Dayton. Uh, you know, there are there are teams in the top twenty-five being challenged by, I mean, bad teams, day in day out. It happens. College basketball. It's just you know, it's just kind of part of it. Meanwhile, Arizona's winning games by fifty over teams. You know, uh, I know uh, Texas, Rio Grande Valley who Arizona beat by, I think, 56 points or whatever it was earlier this year. They had Illinois on the ropes in Champaign just a week ago. Uh, Kobe Co- uh, um, Co- uh, Kofi Coburn had to score like 36 points in that game to get Illinois the win. So it's in, in some sense, it's not just who Arizona's beating, but it's how they're beating them. I mean, they are just absolutely smoking these teams. Now, why is that? You know, and, and we're we're going to talk to more Wildcat basketball throughout the week as we gear up for the Washington game on Thursday night. Number one, and, and it's 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 a it's a it's something that I talked about in the in the preseason. One of the strengths of this team was the front court, just how good the front court is. Now, Umar Balo has been better than advertised. I felt like he was going to be a good player. He didn't get on the floor for the two years that he was at Gonzaga. There's a good reason for that is because he was backing up two All-Americans. Probably a good reason why he wasn't on the floor a whole lot for Gonzaga. Um, but his, you know, his, you know, his, his play has been really impressive. Um, really impressed by what I see out of Umar Balo. Obviously, Christian Coloco has just been an absolute force on both ends of the court. I said before the season began that he will be – one of my predictions was is that Christian Coloco would be in strong consideration for the defensive player of the year in the Pac-12. If you looked at it right now, he's in strong consideration for the defensive player of the year in the country. Like He just swats everything that is near that basket, and it has turned Arizona in to the number two defensive team in the country. They are number two right now in the country in defensive rating. Based on the statistics and the uh, you know the algorithms, things like that, their defense is better than their offenses. I think they're the number nine ranked team offensively in offensive rating. They're number two in the country in defensive rating. Number one in assists, which I absolutely love to see. 31 assists the other night against Sacramento State. First time they've had 30 or more assists in a game since 2001 when they beat the living hell out of Washington State at a game in McHale Center. Um, they had 31 in a game 
uh, in the uh, the national championship year against Arizona State that year. So, look, you know, this is you know some interesting territory that this team's getting into. Uh, they're scoring a ton of points. They're a lot of fun to watch. They're not shooting the ball all that well, which is crazy because there are a lot of really good shooters on this basketball team. Uh, you know, the three-point percentage, they're middle of the country in, in three-point percentage. They're middle of the country in free throw percentage. So they're not shooting the ball all that well. But when you're getting easy buckets, 30 and 31 assists in a game, 18 dunks against Michigan, who's a very good defensive team, by the way, uh, you don't need to shoot the ball well because you're going to score 80 just based on your ball movement and finding great shots, passing up good shots for great shots, which is what Tommy Lloyd has been preaching ever since he got here. They are just an absolute force right now. And when you look at the Pac-12, as far as men's basketball goes, when you look at the Pac-12 as a whole, there's nobody playing better basketball right now than Arizona, period, end of story. They're playing the best basketball of any team in the conference, Better than UCLA, better than USC, better certainly better than Oregon. Oregon's bad. I've watched I've watched Oregon play three times now. They are they can't even rebound. Like that's shocking. Now we're used to Oregon kind of stumbling a little bit early in the season under Dana Altman because he always has so many new pieces and transfers and things like that. He's so good at getting transfers in there. It takes them a while to round round into form. They can't protect the ball. They can't defend. They can't shoot. They can't rebound. Like they are, they're flat bad, and they're getting embarrassed by other teams across the country right now. So, if you look, at, you know, as a whole, Arizona's playing the best of any team in the Pac-12. Uh, Jeff Goodman put out his top twenty-five. He puts out a top twenty-five, like a new top twenty-five, like every day or every other day. And uh, Jeff on his on his Twitter account has Arizona ranked as the number eleven team in the country, and I think. That's pretty appropriate. I think we're anywhere between the 10th and 12th best team in the country right now. And right there with them, you know, based on uh, their record and the way that they've played, the Tennessee Volunteers, who Arizona is going to see uh, right before Christmas. So that'll be an interesting matchup for the uh, for the Wildcats. And things are going to get tougher. You know, they got Washington this week. Washington's really, really, really bad. Um Mike Hopkins probably looking at his last season there in Seattle. They're going to have to upgrade because they they can't have this bad of a basketball program at Washington. It's just unacceptable. They're 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 just flat awful. Uh, so they've got uh, they, you know they got the Huskies this week, and then you know the the test is going to ramp up a little bit. They got Illinois coming up. They got Tennessee coming up, and then the remainder of the of the Pac-12 schedule, of course. So things are going to get more difficult for the Wildcats. They're not going to finish the season undefeated. That's not going to happen. So uh, you know we have to expect that a loss is coming at some point. How do they bounce back from the loss? Do they keep from going into a two or three or a four game slide? You know those are the important things. Can they stay healthy? Uh, how do they continue to to defend? Uh, you know when they get into Pac-12 play, are they able to find their jump shot? when teams are, are just packing the lane and just keeping them from, from you know, playing a high-low type of game? Are they, able to, are they able to shoot over the top of zones and things like that when teams are just packing it in? These are all things that are going to have to be answered. But right now, 7-0, and demolishing every team in their wake, things are looking real good. And, of course, the women's team, you know, they just continue to, to just be so impressive. Uh, you know, they've, they've had some real runaway victories this year as well. But man, at you know at seven and zero, there's only three unbeaten 
teams remaining in the top ten of, uh, of women's basketball. South Carolina, the number one team in the country. Um, and I think Iowa is also undefeated. They haven't played anybody, but um, I think they're also undefeated. But you know, and and the, the women's team has been tested as well, and they've passed that test. They got the last second shot from Shayna Pellington the other night, uh, you know, for the for the for the win in the tournament. And uh, you know, things are going well for Adia Barnes right now. I think a lot of a lot of people undersold that team, and uh, that is that was a huge mistake. I think on both sides. You know, Arizona men's basketball didn't get the credit that I think they deserved. And, again, I can understand that, brand-new head coach and all that kind of stuff. I get it. Uh, but both of these teams were, were highly, highly undersold, and they are overperforming right now, and uh, they are just absolutely rolling. So we're enjoying some basketball as it is full-fledged basketball season in Tucson at the U of A, and uh, we'll be looking forward to the upcoming games coming up this week for both of those programs as well. We're going to take a timeout. When I return, put a big, bright red, shiny bow on today's edition of the Jeff Dean Show. That's next right here on ESPN Tucson. The Jeff Dean Show on ESPN Tucson is brought to you by Desert Diamond Casinos. Desert Diamond is true Tucson. More of the Jeff Dean Show on 1490 AM, 1049 FM, ESPN Tucson. Welcome back. Final segment of today's edition of the Jeff Dean Show. Glad to be back with you guys on the air here. I was telling a friend, uh, a colleague at work, um, I, I, I missed the last four weeks more than I missed the 16-month furlough during uh, during the you know the COVID quarantine when radio stations were shutting down all across the country. And, you know, I was off the air for almost 16 months uh, before returning uh, you know, to the to the airwaves on ESPN Tucson. I, I missed the last the last four weeks have been more grueling to me emotionally and mentally than uh, than those sixteen months were. I just I, I just wanted to be back on the air so badly. I just you know unfortunately couldn't get couldn't get clear for work. But uh, glad to be back on the air and looking forward to having you guys tune it in. And always you can always uh, you know tweet me if you want to interact. That way, you can tweet me at UAZ Voice. That's UAZ Voice. You can uh, tweet me there. Follow me if you want. Again, I'm absolutely not anywhere near the most exciting or entertaining uh, person to follow on Twitter. But I do love interacting with uh, with the fans and the listeners. And if you want to follow me there, you're always welcome to uh, to hit me up with something. Just kidding. Maybe be respectful. I'll be respectful with you. Be respectful with me. And uh, that's all I ask. You know, because Twitter can be an absolute cesspool of nastiness. And uh, we don't uh, we don't really prefer that. So <laughs> I prefer to be cordial and kind to people. Um, the college football conference championship games coming up. Of course, Pac-12 is going to be on Friday night. That's going to be Oregon versus Utah. That game's going to be in Las Vegas. That game will be broadcast on ABC. And I think the Utes are a three-point favorite going into that game. Um, Oregon looked pretty good against Oregon State over the weekend. They looked real fast. So should be an interesting matchup. I know that Utah smacked them around a little bit a few weeks ago. I think this one will be a little bit closer. We'll have to see what uh, what Mario Cristobal and his staff comes up with for their game plan against Utah. And, of course, we know uh, very well that Kyle Whittingham in big games always has a good game plan, always does well uh, coaching the uh, the Utes in those, uh, in those big games. Then on Saturday – the uh, the Big Twelve Championship, Oklahoma State and Baylor. So uh, look, this was a best case scenario for Bob Bowlesby in the Big Twelve. That neither Texas nor Oklahoma are in the Big Twelve Championship game. They're laughing, ha 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 ha. Uh, Oklahoma State and Baylor 
two teams that feature great defense in the Big 12. Yeah, it's been a year of defense in the Big 12. Those two teams are uh, going to be facing off. That game going to be at uh, the Jerry Dome coming up. Uh, speaking of the Jerry Dome, uh, it just came out that Mike McCarthy has tested positive for COVID, so he will not be with the team when they play the Saints this Thursday night, which is probably a good thing for the Cowboys. They won't have any uh, clock mismanagement and such going on without McCarthy there, so that'll be good for them. SEC Championship, Georgia and Alabama. That game is going to be Saturday afternoon. The ACC Championship, who cares? <laughs> Pitt and Wake Forest. And the Big Ten Championship game, Michigan playing in their first ever Big Ten Championship, coming off of their victory over the Ohio State Buckeyes over the weekend. They're going to be taking on Iowa, that game in Indy on Saturday night. All right, well, that's going to wrap things up for today's edition of the Jeff Dean Show. Thanks to Mary back in the studio for taking care of everything, holding down the fort there and keeping me on the air. And, of course, thanks to you guys for tuning in. Don't forget to tune in tonight at uh, Famous Sam's River in La Cholla for the Spears and Ali Show from 3 to 6. And I will see you guys again tomorrow morning at 7 a.m. for Tuesday's edition of the Jeff Dean Show right here on 1490 AM, 104.9 FM, ESPN Tucson. Thanks for listening to the Jeff Dean Show, Tucson's only local morning sports talk show. Jeff will be back tomorrow morning at 7 on ESPN Tucson.